0: Stand by like you two through thirty-three, sound one eight through seven on deck stand by Q actors. Electrics, kill the blue run lights, please. Like you two and sound one A. Go. From Arizona Theater Company, this is Hang in Focus with your host,
1: john Daniels. Uh, as someone that grew up in Arizona, it's a great way for us to be able to share the work that we do worldwide. And featuring co-host Janelle Bragg.
0: Streaming live from the State Theater of Arizona. So let's do it. Let's really use this moment to re-envision. Our- welcome to Hang with Focus, live with Sean Daniels. On today's show, Sean welcomes new executive producer of The Second City, John Carr.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us, and welcome Chanel Bragg, my co-host there.
2: Hello, everyone. Hi, Sean. You're looking too gq today.
1: Well, you know, you got to pull it together every now and then. (laughs) Um, So uh, today was an exciting day. We announced two upcoming readings that we have going on. One an audio play and one a musical. Um, Why don't I talk about one and you talk about the other to spread them out? Absolutely. Um, So the first one that's coming up, right, is that we're going to do an audio play of The Heath by Lauren Gunderson. Many of our people know Lauren. She's the most produced playwright in the country two out of the last three years. And it's an autobiographical work. It's actually her first autobiographical work about her and her grandfather. And really, you know, she thought they had so many differences. And really, only after he passed away did she realize that she should have been looking for similarities and not differences in the two of them. So it's a beautiful story. Um, and it's also about King Lear. Because, of course, it's not a Lauren Gunderson play if there's not Shakespeare and science woven into it. <laughs> and so playing her go- uh, her grandfather and King Lear is John Larroquette, who is a four, maybe five-time Emmy Award winner and <laughs> Tony amazing. Award winner. And um, But I know him, of course, from Night Court, right? That's from
2: why. Over I- and <laughs> Same. over
1: to be able to do it Uh, and he's joining them. So, and Lauren is actually playing herself, right? So this is actually an autobiographical work that she's done, but she's always had other actresses play her because she's busy, Um, so be able to do it. And if you don't know, it was also just announced today that the Time Traveler's Wife, the book is being turned into a musical for the West End to be able to do. And Lauren Gunderson is doing the book for that. So she's having a- She's
2: on fire.
1: That's right. Lower yeah.
2: this on yeah. fire.
1: Um, so, but we're thrilled to have her, you know, be part of the Arizona Theater Company family, and for her to want to premiere her autobiographical work with us. And so, that's going to be coming up in April. And so, we're thrilled about that. And then in May.
2: Well, well. number one, I'm going to piggyback real quick. It's just really rare to see a playwright play themselves in a work. So this is a very rare, interesting, amazing offering. And of course, John Larrakat. So I'm super excited. Um, and then in May, we have Somewhere Over the Borders. So we're doing this autobiographical series. And this is a beautiful story um, by the composer and playwright um, Brian Quijada. It's about his mom and how she journeyed and her immigration journey from El Salvador into the United States and it is heartwarming when I watched it well watched it when I read it I could not put it down I read it like in one sitting I was like at my kitchen table and then I didn't get back up because I was just so enthralled and it's a gorgeous story it's a very poignant story and I think extremely relevant to right now and so we're really excited to do that work um and yeah we can't wait for you to see and we did a musical on zoom how about that
1: I know so
2: Yeah, we're pulling out all the stops for you in the spring, everyone.
1: <laughs> and uh, and Somewhere Over the Border is directed by Reg Douglas, who yes. is Associate Artistic Director at Studio Theater. But forever, he was secretly or not secretly running the City Theater uh, in Pittsburgh. And so, you know, I, I just feel like between Larroquette... Um, And Brian and Reg and Lauren, like, these are like four of my favorite artists, and I can't wait, you know, once we get through Romero Fest, which is a month of celebrating Elaine, to be able to move on to share these other artists with our audience.
2: Absolutely. And we kick off with our first guest for the Romero Fest next week with Karen Zacharias. So we're really excited about that. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned the entire month of March and April. We got some exciting things coming to you.
1: Oh, my God. So much hype.
2: But all right, (laughs) today...
1: Today is a special day for us. Um, We have the new executive producer of Second City. And here's the fun thing. He was, uh, you know, when he took over, he wasn't allowed to do any interviews for a period of time, right? Because he's got to get his feet wet. And today is the first day that he is allowed to do interviews out. So, of course, we wanted to have him on to be able to talk about the show. So let's introduce John Carr, who is- Yes, come on out. Hello, John. Oh, and he's gone. There we go. There we go. Hi, John. Technology. Hello. Yeah. So, uh, just to clear it up, John, you're sitting in an empty house at this yes. moment. Does that it's mean my- you're you're moving very I shortly? Am.
3: I am. This is my <laughs> empty bookshelf. because I, I am going to be um, a Chicagoan, a Chicagoan. Um, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but um, I will be a Chicago uh, resident of uh, the I guess Saturday after
1: next. So, I'm uh, I'm excited. That's fantastic. Um, I've, I've known John for a long time, for 20 years. Is that true? Yeah,
3: something like that. It's crazy.
1: Oh, which is amazing because we're both 35. So I'm unfair <laughs> <on that. laughs> right to be able to do. It's a great feat. That's right. <laughs> we were small children on the playground. Um, and I just got to say, I'm so thrilled for you. It's, you know, it's, I love it when, you know, great opportunities come to great people. And it just feels like I was so, you know, you and I talked early on when you were a finalist for the job um, to see if I had any advice, which I had none, and you still made it. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I'm just so thrilled because I feel like this is such the right moment for you, and you're so deserving, and you're such a community builder. Yeah, in terms of what it is on top of being an, a hilarious guy yourself.
3: You know, <laughs> well, to- I appreciate that. And, you know, it's it's crazy too, just kind of how our lives and how it's kind of circled around just because you were the first artistic director of Dad's Garage Theater. And then I was I came in as the, the last director, artistic director of Dad's Garage. And it's been really cool because, you know, growing up as an improviser and performer, Sean was always kind of this figure that loomed in the um, in the dad's garage pantheon. And so um, every once in a while he would like come and visit or like share some stuff or write something. And it, I got so much out of the work that you did, um, out of kind of the example and the leadership that you laid with dad's garage and kind of really was able to Follow that blueprint as I was coming in, and uh, just been a super helpful person um, throughout my career. So I've always
1: appreciated that about you. You're so smooth. I love how smooth you are. <laughs> I love. I, lo- I love how I gave you a compliment and you were like, "Shut it down." <laughs> also, we're- you had a compliment. <laughs> I know. I know. Do I
2: it. always tease Sean about how fancy he is and how famous he is, and he's like, "No, no, I'm not." But you he- need to prove that. Man, he's so- <laughs>
3: He's a legend he's a comedy legend
1: um so you know I want to talk uh, through it all but I can we start off first with the big question that I think you know people are interested in um so um before you you know about over the summer there were some accusations. Mm-hmm. At Second City, that they were, that they had racist environments, that they had environments that were unfriendly to improvisers of color. And I know one of your things you really wanted to do was to change the culture yeah. from the inside out. And you you did that in Atlanta, right? You did several different things to be able to bring the community together, what steps are, have you taken or are you planning to take now that you're at Second City to not only kind of combat what's been happening in the past, but to make sure that type of behavior doesn't happen in the future?
3: Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things is like, I want to make sure that I don't take credit for stuff that I didn't do, but like a lot of like Anthony LeBlanc was the executive producer before I got there. So between Andrew Alexander stepping down and me taking over, um, Anthony LeBlanc was there. And with him and a lot of his team, they already took a lot of steps. And I have a lot of respect for a lot of the leadership because you know a lot of them recognize and acknowledge the mistake that they made, and then step down. And Mm. like when you look at the senior staff of Second City right now, when you talk about like the the four big positions—the chief operating officer, the chief financial officer, the um, the president, and the executive producer—like now half of those people are people of color now. Um, And so just immediately there was this shift in what they were doing. And so from the top down, there's been, and it's also like one of those things where we wanna make sure that we're diversifying the staff, but it's not just diversifying in a random way, it's diversifying Mm -hmm. for key positions, right? So it's like right now our casting director is a woman of color. Our h r um, lead, Ashley, is a woman of color, so it's not just diversifying across the board but also diversifying in key areas and leadership positions and so seeing that stuff already taking place when we got when I got here was a great um, indicator that like when they say they want to change, they were being sincere about it. Um, I think we've got a lot of exciting things that we've um, got ahead of us we've started um, just convened a DEI council that's made up of full-time staff members within second city so that we're, you know, we're able to take some of the decisions and we're not just kind of going out and doing these things, but we have a board of advisors that are, we're running these things by to make sure that we're taking into account intersectionality, all the different mm-hmm. perspectives. And so we already have a DEI council in place Um and it's been fun, you know, as we started rolling out some of our online programming, we have, um, we just r- finished a run of a show, Black and White News, which is a, pretty much an all BIPOC um, a show. And so seeing, seeing those folks kind of take the lead in programming has been really cool. And it's been fun just because, you know, for me, I'm all about, you know, let's diversify, but also let's find partners to help us diversify. Let's find mm-hmm. other organizations to help us diversify. So, you know, with black and white news, like, rather than just say, we're Second City, and we're going to put on a diverse show, it was like, we're Second City, here is an organization, it's Preach Improv, which is a group in Chicago that is all BIPOC performers, let's partner together with you guys, let's create a show. And so even in doing a show, it's not just Second City diversifying, but also uplifting other organizations and groups. Um, The Black Improv Alliance is an organization that I'm super excited about and really enjoy what they're doing. And we partner with them to like do, um, they do, uh, they're trying to get 100 improv theaters or 100 scholarships throughout America and partnering with improv theaters. But they do this thing where if you want to be a part of them, you have to get, you can't just give a scholarship. You have to do five scholarships at a time and it has to be for the same class because it's not... Just I want diversity in my class, but I also want people to feel comfortable because I've had that experience of being the only black person going into a level one improv class. And so setting it up where we're also going to help create a space in those improv classes for folks to feel accepted and wanted like and that stuff that you know we've just done in the last um, few months. And so, and so moving forward, finding more opportunities to diversify our audience, to diversify our cast, to diversify leadership and staff. Um, it's been a really cool experience. And I'm super excited for some of the other things that we're going to be doing down the road.
1: Well, and just to be real about how it works, if, if you, outcome on board and you've also changed out who your casting director is right Mm -hmm. like that's huge right that's that's how the majority of people enter the organization that are going to be performers
3: yeah yeah so like and it's and it's you know even redefining what we mean like you know with you know with dad's garage you have these performers and it's a little bit different than a traditional theater where you do a show and you leave like when you're talking about improv these folks are here for a while so it's also about like developing that talent right it's not so much put this person in this show it's also about what can we do to give this person the tools to make themselves better to be um, a better performer to be a better actor to honestly to spend their time here at second city but then also go out into the world and be an example and because that's what second city is known for it's not just the shows it's the people that we produce and so being really intentional about developing those people is gonna be a major key moving forward.
1: Can you talk about Dark Side of the Room, which is maybe one of my favorite improv troupes of all time (laughs) And, and favorite ideas. Could you explain what the idea is?
3: Yes. So Dark Side of the Room is a all Black improv group out of Dad's Garage. And the premise of it is that we take a movie, uh, a popular movie, of Star Wars, E.T., Indiana Jones, and then we do a long form set improvising what the Black people were doing while that movie was happening. And, so <laughs> it's, <laughs> and, so, and it's really this kind of, it's like that perfect sort of combination of like hilarious, hilarious, fun idea, but also one of those things that's like, oh, we're going to do fairy. Bueller's day off it's like oh great it takes place in Chicago oh wait there are no black people in this movie what were they all doing like it's, <laughs> it's it's that kind of great sort of like we're having fun but we're also like do you see how this is a little bit weird and a little bit strange Let's let's shed some light on that
1: yeah. Uh, it's it, it's always been one of my favorite groups of all time just for that reason, that it's like <laughs> ridiculous and dumb and yet the most present social commentary. <laughs> and you watch audience after audience be like, where are the Black people in Ferris and It's like, you know, <laughs> how did that not occur to them yeah. before this moment, right? And you're doing it through laugh, <laughs> right? And you're doing it through comedy, which I think is a way that people are then more open, right? To be able to take that in and to rethink some things.
3: Yeah, and it's been cool too because of, who, because it's, you know, obviously silly, funny, but like, because of the commentary, we've been able to work with people that we wouldn't have been able to work with before. So for example, True Colors Theater in um, Atlanta, Georgia, which is a a Black theater here, like we've been able to partner with them and they have some monologue competitions that they run. And so we, we did the thing where we had them, like one of their, Kids kind of do one of their monologues that they had been doing for competition, and then we did improv based on that monologue. And so it was a way of kind of melding these two ideas. We've got a chance to work with the Center for um, Civil and Human Rights out here in Atlanta because their their whole thing was like they're wanting to find taking the classic ideas of civil rights leaders and seeing where people are practically applying them to our lives now in modern day. And so the improv group was one of those groups that they really kind of identified and were like, how can we highlight this, show this, and show them as an example of what um, taking those ideas and using them in practical modern day, what it looks like. And so getting to work with all these cool groups that we we wouldn't otherwise have had an opportunity to work with. Yeah.
1: So let me let me ask you this just on a personal level. Does it screw with your head to now be the executive producer of Second <laughs> I mean, You know that's huge. Like, just yeah. walk us through what it's like when you figured out that you got the call and that you were <laughs> going to do
3: it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a huge thing. I I think it's also it was a weird moment in my life because you know I have been a improviser and performer for most of my life. Um, I just enjoyed doing it, and it was great. But I was definitely I turned. 41 this year i was definitely at a point where i still wanted to perform but the thing that was giving me the most joy was helping other um improvisers and helping build groups and teams and shows and so uh, getting to do that dad's garage was great and i'm like this is this is the pinnacle this is the pinnacle of my career is uh doing this stuff at dad's garage and um anthony leblanc who um the uh the current executive producer he was he actually directed the magic negro here in atlanta uh a Marsh kendall's one person show at the alliance theater and so i got to know him when he was out here and so he told me about the job and i'm like oh well this would be a good exercise i might maybe i'll get through a couple of rounds meet some people and it'll be a good networking (laughs) experience and i'll learn how to how to do this and i kept going through the rounds and i'm like oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going <laughs> I keep, I keep moving me to the next round. Um, and then I uh, getting the actual call was like this insane, surreal moment um, that was crazy because of Second City and what it stands for, what it means and all that. But the other, the thing that kind of helped me kind of calm my nerves a little bit is like at the end of the day, it's what I had already been doing. It is Mm -hmm. about being an executive producer is about helping other people find their voice, helping other people express themselves um, artistically, helping them be better performers. And it just is that same thing on a bigger stage. Um, And that's the thing that I'm excited about is having a hand and being a part of what the next generation of comedy is in America and helping to be a part of what shapes that and what forms that, because frankly, comedy is going through a big change right now. And I'm, I'm just excited to be a part of it.
1: Um, so you get there next Saturday. I get there. Yep. I'm there next Saturday. And where do you live? I live in the loop.
3: I think is what it's called. Um, I, feel, I, feel like <laughs> I think the neighborhood um, uh, is uh, called the loop. Um, and it's it's right downtown. Um, I'm like thirty. I'm, I always say I'm, I'm a thirty minute walk from Second City because when I get there, I'm gonna walk every day to work. We'll see if that happens. Like it's a it's it's aspirational, uh, but um, it's not too far. So I'm excited to be down there and working with everyone.
2: There's a pizza place that my fellow Chicagoans go to. It's called Pizza Fiesta. So I just want to throw that your way because it's some okay. of the best pizza I've ever had. And it's not deep dish, ironically enough. Ooh. Yeah, uh-huh. it's pretty pretty gets on the South side. <laughs> I
1: will so, check that out. <laughs> so once you get settled, right, what, let's say now we're three years from now, like what, what does Second City look like? How is it different now that you're there? Like I, you have great things that you're putting in place, but really like how is the organization going to be different once you're settled, once you know where you live, mm-hmm. once you found the pizza place and you've gotten to work?
3: <laughs> yeah absolutely. I think the way that it it's different in a lot of different ways, like my vision like if you've ever been to second city Chicago um like there are six seven stages within that building that are all over oh, wow. the place, and so for me, my vision for second city is when you walk in that building and it's a Saturday eight o'clock, there is absolutely the traditional Second City review on one stage, but then in the other stage, there's something completely different. There's a um, a one-person show that deals with race and and that sort of thing. There is another show that is like a gender identity on this other stage. There's another show that is just silly, fun, short form improv. There's another show that, and it's this idea that you can walk into this building and you have suddenly all these choices on the types of shows that you want to see. And you you can walk in Saturday after Saturday and have a completely different experience depending on what stage, what theater, where you go and kind of give a smorgasbord of comedy um, to our audience. And I think there's, it's a lot of diversifying, not only, you know, the cast, but diversifying the type of show that we do. Mm-hmm. Like we, we Second City does something very, very well. And at the core of it, it is great. But it's that question of like, what can we take that core, those central ideas of what makes a city great, and then put it in different containers. It doesn't have to be all in the same container. I've done improv, I've done plays, I've done spoken word, I've done storytelling, but I've also done professional wrestling. And I would argue (laughs) that that is just as much an art form as any of those things. And why does that have to be, uh, why can't that be also a expression of um, art in some way? And how many different ways can we show that and that's really what I want to try to bring to Second City. Who
1: who was your wrestling character?
2: I know I was just about to ask <laughs> <laughs> what was your character name? What was it your move?
3: Was, it was my my character name. Okay, so here's the thing. My character's name was Timmy <laughs> McClendon. Um, And the reason it was is because I went to wrestling practice the first time I went and I was nervous. I was so nervous that every time I tried to do like a a wrestling, like a promo or something, my voice would crack and I would just be like just nervous because of it. And so finally, they're like, you know what? You're this young kid, Timmy McClendon, and you are uh, a super (laughs) dumb kid, but you're lovable and you're spunky. And I get out there and I go my little... um, intro and that the bad guy would just beat the crap out of me. And then <laughs> <laughs> the guy would come. and I'm like, I did my part. I'm wrestling. <laughs> and then it was great. They
2: didn't give you a special move, though, like the people's elbow. I was oh, a big WWF friend. Oh, no, I have brothers.
3: I, I appreciate it. That's, that's a great reference. Um, no, because I didn't win. Um, I didn't really win a lot. So you <laughs> never got around to giving me a finishing move because, yeah, it just didn't happen. <laughs>
2: And you can't improv with wrestling, I would assume not.
3: Well, so that's, so that's the crazy thing about it was the reason I got into wrestling was because there was a, a performer at Dad's Garage who came in and he had a background in wrestling and he improvised with us and we did a couple of shows with him. Um, but he really took a lot of the improv principles to his wrestling thing. So for him, like when you talk about a wrestling match, it's not two guys fighting, it's two guys telling a story. And so he really kind of approached each match from, and he would ask us, "Is like, what are you trying to say with this match? What is the message that you're trying to convey to the audience?" And he taught us how to build a story physically um, through these wrestling matches. And so that was that was how we were kind of like, and that's where it started connecting with me, where it's just like, oh, okay, I can see how this is like when it's done well. Like I've seen, I've seen wrestling matches where like coliseum filled with thirty thousand people at the end of it everyone's crying because of how powerful and emotional that wrestling match was and so it's like it can it can be something different and interesting and cool and
1: i love playing with that kind of thing were you were you there when the iron sheet came
3: (laughs) yes i was i remember that story very
1: well and i think smoked crack out behind the building (laughs) yes am i remembering that correctly
3: Yeah, no, I, that's one of those stories where I'm like, how much detail do we want to give about this story? Yeah, that was, it was absolutely the Iron Sheep. It was one of those crazy things where like, it was literally the week before a show and someone was like, you know, I think the Iron Sheep lives around the corner. And so somebody was like, well, we all collected 20 bucks and we're like, all right, we'll pay him 200 bucks and he's going to come and do a show. And he did it. And then he just like smashed somebody over the head with a chair and was just like, well, oh, I'm done. And that was his. That was, and everybody, it's the only, it's the only format where like this guy comes in, randomly smashes a dude across the head with a chair and everybody's like, well done, he's a professional. That was,
2: that yeah, was, that was like, nice.
1: For all of us that knew him in the 80s, we're like, this is the best night of my life. Like, <laughs> I got hit with a chair by the Iron Sheik. Yeah. <laughs> was
2: I was a... an Ultimate Warrior fan, personally. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: He's a, he, was a, he was a great one of those characters.
1: <laughs> so, so, John, how many days have you been on the job? I think I actually started December
3: 15th. Um it was my actually first day. And so um yeah, I guess what I'm coming up on three months now. Um, but it's one of those things where it's so weird like doing theater now, as we can see, like you're doing Zoom meetings for right. most of the time. So it was kind of one of those things where there wasn't a huge rush for me to get down to Chicago because I would just be in Chicago having a bunch of Zoom meetings, right? And so we're just kind of now at a point where we're starting to have those discussions about how we want to come back. Can we come back? What is some timeline? And so it's like, okay, now is the time for me to start getting out
1: there and start making some decisions. Can you, can you share at all what second city is thinking in terms of when they may be able to gather again? Yeah. I mean, the, the hope is that we
3: can do something, you know, um, summer or late summer, early fall. Um, that's the hope. I, I always say hope because I feel like this year has been me Making plans three months in advance, and then taking them and throwing them in the garbage, and then making a new set of plans, <laughs> and then taking them and throwing them in the garbage. So I have plans, and I have a giant garbage can if we need to. <laughs> <throw them over. laughs> yeah, because it's just it's this has just been an insane time to
1: create art. Yeah. So, so what are the, what can you share with us? Like, what have the first ninety days been like? Like, what surprised you about it? Um, I, I think,
3: I don't know if there was anything that was like a super curveball, but I think the thing that has impressed me about it is how excited everyone is. Mm -hmm. Like, I think from the Mm -hmm. outside, you can see it being like the tendency is to feel like, oh, it's, it's rough. This is a, a tough situation to be in. But when you're inside and the people are so excited about the future, I think people are excited about, um, what diversification, what diversity does to the theater and not only how it helps um, the theater overcome its issues, but how it adds to the theater, right? What are some of the things that we could never do that we'll be able to do now with a more diverse cast and, uh, and uh, diversity throughout the company? And I think that's the type of thing that people are excited about and they're, they're ready to go and to do and to uh, be a part of the change And I think that's the thing that makes me excited about it, because, you know, it's it it, it can be tough going into a situation where you're having to change the mind of the staff and you're, Mm -hmm. you know, the first couple of months are just fighting the staff. And this has been 100 percent people coming in and just like, we're ready. Let's go. We're just waiting for you to get here to give us some commands and let's make this happen. And so that's been a really exciting and thrilling
1: part of all of this. Yeah. Now that's phenomenal that you, you're walking into a place ready for you, right? Yeah. That wants to make change, that wants to push it forward. Absolutely. To be able to do sure. it. Any, uh, But like, what's, what surprised you, you know, in terms of what it was? Um, yeah, the size, um, you know, cause it's, it's, I mean,
3: that's the, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where everything that at dad's garage, we kind of like joking, like thought, man, wouldn't it be cool? Like we we're at dad's garage. We we're like, man, wouldn't it be cool if we like at the end of going through your classes, you got like certification and that sort of thing. And then like get to second sitting and like, we have a partnership with DePaul university and you can get credit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, whoa, that's, that's so awesome. Um, it's um, it's been a great seeing Like, cause we have theaters in Toronto and Hollywood. And I think part of like the, the bright side of, like the situation that we are in this year is we've been communicating with the other theaters so much more. And like the Hollywood um, training center has been like communicating with the Chicago and we're like exchanging information and exchanging notes and sharing ideas. And it's been kind of this uh, wonderful sort of like one second city um, that is just spans across North America. And it's been really, it's, it's huge in scope and was, you know, amazing when I walked in, but then seeing everybody taking ownership and loving and being passionate about their different areas, it was also exciting to be like, oh, we can make some really cool things happen as a single organization. And that's, that That really got me kind of wound
1: up. So while we are live, you know, we have, uh, if anybody wants to put a comment in the Facebook chat, they have a question for John Carr, we're happy to take it. And to be able to pass it on to him, are are you are you all still doing the cruise ships? Is that still is that still a thing?
3: No, no, we actually discontinued the cruise ships. I believe it was like two years ago, a year or two ago. Um, well, I mean, obviously, probably more than a year or two ago. Um, but yeah, we we ended the um, cruise ship uh, contract, so we're no longer doing that. But we're still doing. Um, we have a touring company and that goes across the... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, wait hold uh, hold on we-
2: hold on who's this who's this is young man
3: oh my god i got ambushed
1: so so listen we thought if we were really going to do an interview with you like we know some questions to ask you but there's probably somebody that knows more to be able to get to the heart of what is going on with you. oh my god so this is Former guest on the show and yes. you know nationally known puppeteer, Raymond Carr. Welcome to the show. Hi, Raymond. Hi, <laughs> hey, everybody. Oh, hi, John. Raymond. Wow. Hello, Raymond.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Thanks so, for uh, having me. Wait, wait, wait. So which one of you is older?
3: <laughs> I,
1: I am older. When no, I'm you're older supposed to two...
3: let them guess. No, <laughs> I'm older by two years and two weeks. So I am the more mature and intelligent brother. <laughs> You don't look a day over ten years older than me.
1: <laughs> so, so Raymond Carr, what what is it like to have your brother be the new executive producer of Second City? What what's that about? Uh, hilarious! <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh my god! It's, uh, you know, it just it just goes to prove that uh, affirmative action is alive and well. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this was was such a good idea, Sean.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but like when you got the call that he had it, what did you think?
3: Uh, I mean, several questions came in my head. What? Why? How? What? Uh, No, look, uh, it, it... this is very it was it was uh cool to hear it was surprising um i'm not used to john getting more attention than me which is uh <laughs> which i don't appreciate but uh it's nice for uh, to actually like you know not have to worry about you know him as much so uh yeah it's it's great i'm happy for him
1: now can you you two grew up in a performing family <laughs> is that correct the- yeah yes we were we were
3: Homeschooled by traveling Christian clowns. Yes.
1: So let's, let's dive into that for a moment because most guests don't say that. <laughs> Can you just explain a little bit more about what that is?
3: Sure. Um, so we were homeschooled uh, and basically our family, we had a family business. We would go around the country doing clowns, puppet, and magic shows for major... Gospel critics. illusions. Gospel illusions. Gospel illusions. <laughs> not magic, because that's the devil. Um, <laughs> the gospel illusions for major uh, Christian revivals and events that happened around the country. Basically, if you were in the 90s and there was a big like, uh, non-denominational uh, mega-church preacher doing an event, um, someone had to take care of the kids, and so they would st- stick us in a small room and we would entertain 500 children with uh, puppets and clowns and and whatever we could do to get them to not revolt against us. Two to four hours a night, yeah. Yeah. These were long. These were, they got the spirit and it would go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: My mom's a missionary. That is why I'm laughing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So uh, I, I guess maybe the connection is obvious, but like you're both performers, right? You're both, you're both. John is an improviser, an executive producer. Raymond, you're now a famous puppeteer um, working everywhere. Did Did you guys know that you were gonna become performers from this or did, you know, did it, was it a natural progression or did you fight against it? What do you think, I think Raymond? Well, I, to be clear,
3: John's no longer a puppeteer. He's, he's the man, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're part of the establishment. uh, I don't know about him. I mean, I don't think, you know, oftentimes when you're younger, you don't always know uh, that the arts is an option. We, you know, we were performers, but I don't think that our family, my parents would ever consider themselves artists, you know, even though they were very creative on all that kind of stuff. They were just ministers, um, you know, and so I thought that I would might do that, you know, as a performer, being a a pastor or a children's pastor or something like that, being, and then that. Vain, but not any sort of like uh, larger entertainment. We only and we grew up in Southern California. We didn't know any actors or uh, you know performers or anything. There was like one girl, woman who uh, was at a church we used to go to that was in Star Trek for a while. And that was like <laughs> the only uh, like actor we really knew. Um, so yeah, I don't think it was really an option for me. No, and I think I think it was interesting because you know you're. You're performing in front of 500 kids and you have a plan but that plan's never going to go well and you know you also have that in the back of your head is like if they all decided to take over we they outnumber us so it's this constant like moving of like keep them entertained keep them distracted and i think what it developed in us is this ability and willingness to you know entertain and try different things and if something's not working drop it and try something else. And so we were constantly evolving, constantly learning how to evolve, constantly learning how to work with an audience and um, understand, you know, shape of show and all those type of things. And so I think the cool thing that has, it's translated to us as adults is we don't have as many of the sort of boundaries of this box here is art. Like we are, we tried everything we've done everything because when you're in front of 500 kids you try everything and you do everything you can to keep them entertained and so um we've tried it and we've taken that for the rest of our lives and we've had a lot of success in different arts industries and we've had um, some a lot of failures. Um, I I directed rap videos for six months, and that did not go well. Um, and, uh, but like it was, it was that idea of like, let's try it, let's go for it, and see what happens because we're truly people that were not afraid of failure because you know you can learn so much from failure. So why not just try it and see what happens? I think it's also that we just didn't know any better. I mean, that's a very <laughs> elegant way of trying to frame it in hindsight, but we didn't know no better. Like yeah. it was, and plus we just weren't educated. Like we, didn't, none of us have any kind of formal um, performance education. John is the only one in our uh, immediate family who has a college degree. I'm have I'm about ten credits away from finishing my um, college degree that <laughs> that's very old at this point. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, we were just, you know, seat of the pants, um, kind of performance. It was more like vaudeville than anything else, where we would have like a couple of acts that we knew the basic structure for. My mom would just write it down on a piece of paper. And I, we were, I was the one that was begging us to like rehearse more and like to structure some stuff out. And they were like, nah, I'll just, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah.
2: I think that's Black church moms, though, because, no, seriously, my mom's a choir president, and she'll be like, okay, Chanel, sing alto, sing soprano, sing tenor, help the boys out. I'm like, what? And she'll just like completely make up a song on the spot that we didn't rehearse the day before, and all the kids in the church will be pissed at my mom, and I'm like, just follow her. That's how she rolls. It's a part of that culture that just like fly by the seat of your pants and improv. So I don't think I'm a good improver, but if I think of it back in that vein, then yeah, on the spot singing and stuff like that, I could do. Absolutely.
1: You know what? You know what I really love about this, John? And I feel like I go through this all the time. Like I I'm trying to be a professional leader of an arts organization. And then <laughs> sometimes our friends come on the show and I get this look in my eye, like I thought this was a good idea I instantly regret this choice because I don't know where this is gonna go but I enjoy a little bit of chaos in of so you know you're in the same spot like you're you're an important person you're trying to run an organization
3: is he though
1: <laughs> and and will and will Raven play along will he not we'll all find out together at
3: the same moment. Look,
2: I've been playing along my whole life so
3: <laughs> I don't know what- Good lord!
2: <laughs> who got in trouble more out of the two of you oh, when Raymond. you were kids?
3: Yeah, Raymond. me. Raymond, a hundred percent. He was the strong-willed child, as we, as my mother <laughs> would explain it. Uh, but uh, that's the thing about having parents who do like workshops and stuff for like for children and also for parents. You get a lot of stories told about you. Um, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, that's the term that I was, uh, coined the the strong willed child, but I'm also like the, I'm the, I think I'm, I'm the better child at this point (laughs) that remembers I'm the ones that, mean. Like, a sub- a, a that is subjective parent. at the least. <laughs> I mean, like, we won't ask them. But, you know, like, I'm the one who remembers birthdays. And and did you call dad on his birthday? Yes, John? I did. Okay. Oh, I, didn't <laughs> forget. I, I, went, I went to their house and dropped off the gift that I thought of. <laughs> that I forced you to do with me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little, like, yeah. So I, I made up for it in my adult life. Uh, but, yeah, I was definitely the strong-willed child.
2: You could tell that by the shirt you got on. <laughs> I love it.
3: I'm, yeah, I'm trying to be professional. I've got my button down, looking professional.
1: And... I know
2: you got it all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Raymond is just floating over Atlanta somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, but it, it is it is weird. Like having been at a theater like Dad's Garage for so long, and like having grown up there, I've had some of my most embarrassing moments at dad's garage and some of my happiest moments and some of my worst moments. And you never know. Um, and it's, it's nice kind of starting fresh in this new place, the second city, but every once in a while, someone come up and remember, remember that time you had an allergic reaction to peanut butter on stage. And like, you have to like, (laughs) you have to be like, Oh yeah, I
1: totally remember that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So we have a little bit of time just left before we go. Raymond, would you just give us like the briefest update on what you've been up to since we last saw you? Since you've uh, had some cool things happen.
3: I don't remember the last time you saw me. Uh, so I'll just have to be. That's almost uh, a
2: year ago. Yeah. Was it? Jesus wow. Christ. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Um, well, I got engaged last
1: uh, weekend or two weekends <laughs> ago. Um, and, and can I correct this? Did your fiance break her foot while you were proposing? No, like about forty five minutes after I proposed. Okay, great, great, great. Yes. Yeah. Can you, <laughs> can you
3: explain? Can you explain how that happened? She uh, ran. was running away uh, from me after I proposed. that. <laughs> tracks. That sounds <laughs> about right. We had just met that day, so uh, no, uh, <laughs> no. She was. It was. Uh, that would be way more interesting than the reality where she just was walking down the stairs. And she tripped and fell. Uh, <laughs> so now she is in a cast uh, on our couch right now, um, waiting for me to get off this phone to help her with everything.
0: Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, no, we, we uh, you know, I made some movies, uh, did some shows. I worked, you know, I go back and forth at the Jim Henson Company. So I have a uh, three or four shows that you can stream now that I'm on. Disney Plus, Netflix, um, Hulu, uh, and uh we're doing it we got into the atlanta film festival of movie of mine um i puppeteered the aflock duck the other week aren't you like uh, on no. the board of jim henson or something oh yeah, yeah yeah, i'm on the board of the jim henson foundation now awesome. um you gotta say you gotta say the right
1: thing I know Hello, like, the black duck is where his mind went. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, John, for, for bringing him back to
3: being board
2: <laughs> of
1: the Johnson Foundation. That's yeah. where
3: people, like, honestly, that's where people keep freaking out when I tell them that. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, a lot, little, little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> well. well, listen, Raymond, thank you for coming on. Thank you for crashing our interview with John. Do you have any last questions you want to ask John before you go? Uh, yeah. You
3: missed a couple of buttons I can
1: see. Your- <laughs> <laughs> Was that
3: intentionally? Well, hey, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us, Raymond. You know, I mean, it, it's, oh, okay. Yeah, anyway, that's it.
2: <laughs> well, normally our guests do give us a word before they leave. So, Raymond, do you have a word that you'd like to leave us with that encapsulates how you feel at this moment or where you are at this time? Uh,
3: I, I feel satisfied by this process. Yes. to me. You're yeah. Yeah. My favorite, I got to say, my favorite thing that I, John's moving out of town from Atlanta in the next, I guess, next weekend. Yeah. Next weekend. Oh, wow. Uh, my favorite thing growing up was to, surprise him in different ways getting creative ways to like hit him um and just throw things at him and i am going to miss being, and we just got pictures done uh last weekend and I, I i was able to punch him in the stomach so while taking <laughs> pictures so uh i am going to miss uh
1: physically hurting him uh <laughs> so you know as someone who has two brothers that's kind of sweet.
2: Sweet. <laughs> sweet i For got two brothers mile. too <laughs> oh.
1: Not as much as we're gonna get, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our
3: love (laughs) language is getting punched in the kidneys.
2: Yeah.
3: (laughs) I toughened him up. I really did. I did. All right, that's
1: it. (laughs) All right, excellent. Thank you, Ray McCarr. All right, bye. Thank
2: you. Tell your fiance, thank you for letting you play with us while she's hurting on a couch. Oh wow!
1: Well, there you go.
3: (laughs) <laughs> guys roll with the punches that,
1: that <laughs> now in, in all your interview requests you're like no raymond Carr. whatever that's, happens.
3: that's now my writer from now on
1: <laughs> yeah well you know it's 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 so interesting it's um you know i know we talk a lot about like your guys history but your parents must be so proud i mean both of you i feel like at the top of your game in terms of what you do like Second city is the top of the improv world and the Henson foundation is the head of the top of the puppet world. I mean, the two of you, it would be hard for the two of you to climb higher.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I think it's, it's one of the things that makes me happy and excited is the fact that like my, as great as everything was, my parents would be ecstatic if I was assistant manager at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Like that's the type of supportive people that they are. And that, for them, it was less important that we do anything specific and more important that we were following our passions, following what excited us and what we wanted to do. And I think I can speak for Raymond in this. I don't know that we re- really had ambitions of like, we're going to take over this company or we're going to be top of this. It was more of we want to do things that make us happy and help other people. And that's, that's been my mantra for the whole time is find a need and meet it. And if you do that, people will create jobs, positions, they'll uh, put you in leadership positions if you just have the mantra of find the need,
1: meet the need. No, that doesn't sound like something Raymond would say. So I'm glad.
3: (laughs) No, it is not. No, it is not.
1: (laughs) Um, Um, Do you have a word that you want to share with us? You know, we have his is satisfied.
3: Yeah. I think my word is future. Um, I think that's really what it is. I mean, uh, I feel like, Sean, you, you experienced, this, is, this has been one of the more difficult times to be an arts leader um, in America right now. And it, it sucks because I had kind of just stepped into roles of leadership and was kind of hit with everything. And it's been fun. It's been funny talking to other people in leadership and they're being like it's not always this bad it's not always it gets better <laughs> um and i think for me the great thing is you know you're nervous when you step into leadership you're you're wanting to do well and you're wondering about if you have what it takes to to do it and i think one of the nice things is there's a lot of new leaders that are coming up and being developed right now and it's great to see them here because as tough as it is if we can get through this, we can get through anything. If we can survive this, we can survive anything. And to look at some of my peers and some of the other folks that are doing great things in this time, it makes me so excited for when things are back to whatever normal looks like and how much more we could do because we've overcome this, we've fought through it, we are better people, better organizations because of this time. And now the sky's the limit and I cannot tell you how excited I am for the future of Second City, but the future of the arts community as a whole in
0: America.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful to hear. And I definitely, I mean, and this is why, like I've known you forever, like I'm so excited for you to step into this because I feel like people are people are hungry to hear that message. Yeah. And, uh, and I think people are hungry for, you know, even in the regional theater, which is different than improv, right? There was this huge turnover, like a third yeah. of Lort theaters got new leaders seconds before the virus hit. And, and a lot of people have been like, oh, that's terrible timing. And I was like, or it might be the thing that saves us, you know, because yeah. you get a bunch of people who are game to dive in and do it and weren't already retired or on the way out, you know, because it's true. It's a fight. It's a fight every day. And to your point, like, you know, we, we were joking the other day, like I've planned like five seasons now in the last <laughs> nine months. You know, we plan it, we put it together, we budget it, we announce it. <laughs> we delay it, we start again, you know, and it's just like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't care, if I yeah. didn't really care and didn't believe yeah. that when we get to the other end, it's all going to be worth it.
3: Yeah. And how easy will it be for us to be in a position where we'll put together one season and it just happened. And I'm going to be like, holy cow. <laughs> that's
1: that's right, amazing. I know. This like
3: You put a plan together and then you do it.
1: This is incredible. <laughs> I know. I know. It'd be crazy. <laughs> Well, listen, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. I so appreciate it. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of everything that you've done. And I just can't wait to hear about success after success that you're having there.
3: I appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for all the advice and support you've given me over the years. And I look forward to a continued great relationship.
1: (laughs) And next time we won't have Raymond on. I promise.
3: (laughs) And that is going to be a building. That's right.
2: It was so nice meeting you. Thank I, you so much for being a guest today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you so much, John. Bye.
2: So wow. we have some exciting things coming up this week, don't we, Sean?
1: We do. We do. We
2: do something you might have directed, yes?
1: so, uh, starting this Wednesday is going to be Elaine Romero's Halstead that we're putting together and for people that don't uh, or maybe that it's our concert earlier, Benjamin Scheuer, who is a singer songwriter, did original music for the underscoring, you know which plays a small part in it, but just kind of is knows the the level of people that we're working with, right? To be able to join us that are diving in. And if you don't know the story of Halstead, it is also similar to Lauren's piece. It's autobiographical. Elaine Romero wrote it about her wanting to learn, her husband had a stroke and she wanted to really learn what does it mean to love somebody again, to fall in love with them a second time when language isn't a part of how you do it. If you can't talk to them in the same way. And of course she's a writer, right? So that's word, beautiful. Words have always been the way that she has done everything in the world, right? So, if you have to love somebody again, but you can't use words when that's your tool, how do you learn to love them again? And so, it's a really beautiful piece to be able to dive in. And I can't wait to share it. And I also think here's an exciting part about Elaine's work that is important for the contextualizing of it. On Tuesday, on the Tuesday we did it, it was the first time she had ever heard it read out loud with actors in every role so the day that we filmed it to be able to go out was day six of her working on it so we're sharing with our audience what a play is like at the beginning at such a personal play if you want to imagine that putting together a play is three years here's what it looks like on day six to be able to share it with our audience so yeah and there
2: were rewrites too right like you were getting like
1: we sent new the actors an entirely new script every day of rehearsal for six days, including the day of the reading, including the day of the reading. Wow. They got sense. They looked it over. Oh my God. These actors are such pros. They rolled with it for, but for them to be able to do it. So I can't wait to share Halstead by Elaine Romero this Wednesday at five o'clock. So you can check it out on our Facebook page or on our website.
2: Well, thank you for tuning in to Hang in Focus. And we're going to take it on over to our call board. Hi. Thank you, everybody.
0: This is your call board for March 5th through 11th, 2021. Hi, I'm Will Rogers, Community Engagement Manager for Arizona Theater Company. And thank you so much for joining us for today's Hang in Focus, where Sean welcomed John Carr, the executive producer of Second City, So check out this episode, and if you have, please like it, please ring that bell, please uh, follow us and subscribe to us. That means a lot if you do. Now let's head on over to the Giving Corner and see what development has in store for us.
4: Hi, everybody. It's Paula Taylor, the Chief Development Officer at Arizona Theatre Company. Today, we'd like to thank a foundation fueled by personal passion. The Lovell Foundation grew from the passions and life experiences of founders David and Laura Lovell. Together they dealt with monumental challenges and opportunities by connecting with others, crusading for change, creating successes and experiencing peace and joy. Established in 1994, this family foundation continues to embrace causes close to their hearts. In its first 20 years, the foundation invested $11 million in 60 nonprofit organizations for local and national projects supporting people and programs that empower lives, provide opportunities and improve conditions and ultimately advance community. Today, the foundation is propelled by the passions of the second and third generations of the Lovell family, and we can't thank them enough. We're so honored to be part of this organization's mission. Arizona Theater Company wouldn't be able to do what we do without foundations like the Lovell Foundation and so many other nonprofits in our state wouldn't be able to do it either. Thank you so much for supporting us and so many others and have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'll see you next week.
0: As you know, March is Romero Fest, the celebration of ATC Playwright-in-Residence, Elaine Romero. The remainder of our Hang in Focus episodes in March will celebrate Romero Fest, Next week, Sean will welcome Karen Zacharias, playwright of Native Gardens and winner of the National Latinx Playwriting Award. On March 19th, we'll welcome representatives from all of the Arizona theaters in Romero Fest. And on the 26th, We'll reflect back on Romero Fest and have some special surprise guests. Romero Fest gets kicked off in high gear next week when we premiere the reading of Halstead, Elaine Romero's newest play. So have a great weekend, everyone, and don't forget to check
4: out Romero Fest and see.